Hello friends, my name is Tom and uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to Restore Temecula. As a lead pastor, I wanna welcome you wherever you are tuning in. I'm confident that this week's message will be a blessing to you in more than one way. Um, but before we jump into the message, I just wanna kind of bring everybody up to speed with where we are um, with gathering on Sunday mornings. Now, if you follow the news, things obviously seem to be changing, I don't know, fairly regularly and fairly quickly day by day. Um, at the time of this recording, we are currently in, I think it's phase three in California, um, which forgive me, but I'm still kind of fuzzy on what happens at different phases. But all that being said, what we do know um, is that we won't be able to meet at Margarita Middle School, which is where we gather typically on Sunday mornings. We won't be able to meet at Margarita Middle School at least through June 19th. That's a Friday. Now they've given us that date and we've been kind of waiting to hear back from them in regards to when we can get back into the school, if we can get back into the school. Um, so I can, I, can I just ask you, maybe make a request, uh, will you just pray? Will you pray that, that not only that God would provide a gathering space for us for the future, um, we love meeting at Margarita Middle School. We love the relationship that we have with the school, with the staff, um, with the administration, all that. We would love to stay there. Um, but we just pray that God would provide the, the right gathering space for us um, as we start to shift into hopefully more and more uh, uh, things opening up and kind of going back to somewhat normalcy. Okay, so all that being said, we'll keep you posted as soon as we hear more from the school. I'm, I'm anticipating genuinely this week sometime, we'll probably hear from the school in regards to what the next, I don't know, month or two is gonna look like over the summer. Um, and as soon as we get more information on that, we'll be, we'll be passing that on to you. Now, regarding this week, uh, the message that you are about to hear. Our friend and brother Grant Clark is gonna be finishing up this series, uh, Home Sweet Home, that we've been going through for like the last, this is nine, this is week nine. So for the last nine weeks, we've been going through um, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this week, we're gonna wrap things up with self-control. Um, a an area that all of us, especially me, um, not only have room to grow, um, but frankly, I think that Jesus has really special and important things for each of us in exploring this idea of what does it look like to be people who live self-controlled lives, um, who live lives submitted to him and his walking in his spirit. So I'm really um, excited for you to hear this message. Um, many of you guys know Grant. He's such a gift to our church, to our family of churches, but for those of you guys that haven't had the privilege of meeting Grant. Um, he leads Harbor City Church in Durban, South Africa. Um, and he really is, uh, he's, an, he's a remarkable guy. Um, he is a gifted shepherd. He is remarkably compassionate in the ways that he cares for people and for the, in the ways that he leads the church. So I'm excited for you to hear from him. I really believe this will be a blessing. So without further ado, I'll hand things off to Grant. God bless you, grace and peace to you. Love you guys so much, miss you dearly. And uh, we'll see you soon. Good morning, everyone. It's Grant here. And today we're into the last part of our Home Sweet Home series. And what we've done for over two months now is we've mainly been in Galatians chapter five, and we've been comparing and contrasting these two ideas, the idea of the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. And we've been looking at what these have to say to us as disciples of Jesus during this really unique time we're in, where we're in lockdown, in quarantine, in our homes, 
and dealing with a whole bunch of unique pressures and stresses and uncertainties and realities at this time. And today I'm going to be finishing off the series talking about self-control, which I think we can all agree is pretty relevant right now. Now, usually I think we would talk about self-control near the end of a year or the beginning of a new year as we slow down a little bit for the holidays. So we look back at the year that's passed, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. So we think about what we want to change for the new year, whether you're into New Year's resolutions or not. And whether we think about, you know, the year that we want to have, what, what God is saying to us and things like that. But I think for all of us at this time, uh, whether you've been busy or whether you've had a lot of time on your hands, we've been forced to reflect. We've been forced to be a bit more introspective because this time has put this pressure on us to think about what matters most to us in this world. On top of that, I think uh, we've had to think, well, after lockdown, after this time of quarantine, what do I want to change? What do I want to keep the same? And on top of that, I think a bunch of sin in our own hearts has been exposed. And also, if you live with other people, sin in them has been exposed. And there have been kind of a clashing of kingdoms during this time. And over and above that, I'm hoping that all of us have been seeking God in prayer and saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Jesus, what do you want from my life? And one of the things I said in week one of the series was that the pressure of the time was either going to reveal the worst in us or reveal just the beautiful characteristics that the Spirit of God has been forming inside of us. And I think now, a couple of months in, you know what's come out of your life at this time, and you know whether you're a self-controlled person or not. And let me just maybe run through a few different things uh, that I've seen just over the last while. How have you been with self-control in this time when it comes to food? Because we've seen just the most beautiful pictures of meals coming out of people's kitchens, just banana bread and sourdough being baked, uh, and then I also know from some people like Shell and I that we've been able to just plug away at a bar of chocolate in an evening or work through a packet of biscuits while watching something on TV because we've entered into the comfort food eating kind of phase of lockdown. What about exercise? I know some people entered lockdown just with this really ambitious desire to get fitter, to lose some weight, to train just with this new exercise strategy. Or what, what about work? Uh, I think John Krasinski with SGN, his YouTube show, has really made it popular to wear pajama pants, a jacket, a shirt, and a tie. So maybe, I don't know what you're wearing today or what you wear to work, but we did have a moment in one of our church to Zoom prayer meetings last Sunday where one of our leaders, I won't mention Noxie's name, joined the call, turned off her camera, and just lay in bed in her PJs praying along with us all. No shame, Noxie, at all. But obviously self-control extends beyond kind of the things that we can joke about to the things that get a little bit more serious. And I say that because a lack of self-control obviously affects our own lives, but it also really affects the lives of the people around us and the people that we love most. So self-control is really important. And we see that idea throughout the Bible, but in Proverbs, there's a couple of snapshots, which I think illustrate this really well. In Proverbs 16, verse 32, it says, it's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Now, maybe to the more ambitious people watching today, that makes no sense to you. You would rather conquer a city than be self-controlled. But what Solomon is saying here is so true. You know, in the ancient world, a city was impenetrable. It was fortified. It had these big, strong walls around it and soldiers on top of the walls. Sometimes there was a little trench or moat outside to make it even harder for enemies to get in. And really, with the gate up, it was hard for enemies to make their way into a city. It was nearly impossible. This was like the Ocean's Eleven of the ancient world. But what Solomon is saying to us here is that self-control is better because controlling ourselves is harder. You know, if you're able to control or conquer the kingdom inside of yourself, that is a harder feat to do than the nearly impossible job of conquering another kingdom or another city. 
And he comes back to this idea a little bit later in Proverbs 25, 28, where he says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And what he means by this is if you are a city where your walls are broken down, it means you've got no defenses. You start at defeat. You know, you're completely vulnerable. You have no chance of protecting yourself against an enemy. Anyone or anything can just march in and conquer and take over your city. It means you're helpless, you're exposed, and that's to absolutely every danger and every enemy out there. And in our lives, it's the same. If we lack self-control, as contradictory as this might sound at first, just bear with me. It means that we're not free. If you don't have self-control in your life, you are not free because something or anything can come into your life and conquer you. It, it can take control of your life. It, it can enslave you and rule over you. The Bible would call those enemies that we face the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. If we lack self-control, they're able to take control of our lives. So with that in mind, how do we live with self-control? And how do we make sure that the walls of our lives are up and aren't broken down? Well, let's read our series passage again one last time. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, Tim Keller defines the word self-control here as the ability to pursue the important over the urgent rather than to be always impulsive or controlled. And Drudek has a, a maybe more simple definition. He says self-control is self-mastery. He also says self-control is the ability to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. Or if I can flip that on its head, self-control is the ability not to do the wrong or sinful thing even when we really do feel like it. That means that people who exhibit this self-control are people who are not mastered by their cravings or feelings or desires or urges. These are people who have internal control and are free from temptation or desire and are free to do what is right or good or best. Now, self-control is obviously a really important thing, but I think there's a danger with this topic today, more so than any of the other topics we've covered in this series. And it's that I can shift in this message today from a grace-filled, spirit-empowered message of hope to a kind of harsh, hard, try harder, do more, be better kind of condemning sermon, which is not what Paul has in mind at all when he writes Galatians chapter 5. And I say that because when I hear self-control, so I assume for many of you too, I think about hard work and focus and like a gold medal winning determination to drive me to do what is best and what uh, I can. And I know for myself that when I started following Jesus at the age of 18, I quickly slipped into a form of legalism, which really means, you know, a performance-driven striving to earn God's love and acceptance and identity and salvation. And I did this because I knew that I didn't deserve this free gift of grace that Jesus had offered me. I wasn't worthy of it. So I tried to be a really good Christian. I tried to be really moral and righteous. I tried to work harder and earn the love of God through the things I did by being really moral and good and serving in church and sharing the gospel and all of these things. Now, none of those were wrong, but the motivation behind that was wrong because I wasn't doing that out of a love-filled response to God. I was doing that to try and earn his love. And you know what happened? When I did well at these things, I felt really good about myself. I, I thought I was amazing and I started to become a bit self-righteous and look down on others because I was doing this in my own strength. But when I didn't do well at this, I felt defeated and tired. 
And I definitely got worn down by trying to have self-control and live the perfect Christian life in my own strength. But the self-control that we're talking about here doesn't look anything like that. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't come from my control. It comes from my surrender. You know, this fruit isn't developed by my own effort or my own striving, but through the power of the Spirit of God at work inside of me. Drew Dick again says, Mastering yourself is only accomplished by being mastered by God. Mastering yourself, self-control, is only accomplished by being mastered or controlled by God. And that's what we've been talking about the whole way through the series, really. And that's what we're talking about today again. That the fruit of the Spirit are not formed in our lives through straining and intense effort on our part at all. Remember what we said in the series is that trees or bushes, they don't produce lemons or bananas or apples or oranges or whatever your fruit choice is through straining and striving and sweating and trying to make it happen. No, for trees and bushes, that stuff just happens naturally. They produce fruit. That's what they do. And it's the same for us. You know, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't grow in our lives because we strain and try really hard and we we sweat and try and make it happen. You know, love, joy, peace, come on, self-control, you will be mine. That's not what's going on in Galatians 5 at all. No, that's not how this works. The fruit of the Spirit grow naturally in the lives of Christians who plant their lives inside of Jesus and are filled with, empowered by, and led by the Spirit of God. Or if I can be a little bit cheesier than I've already been, our roots determine our fruits. Roots determine fruits. So are you planted in Jesus or are you planted in something else? Are you drawing on His life? Are you being nourished by the power that is from Him Or are you drawing from something else? Because only as we abide in him, as our roots go deep into the life of Jesus, do we produce the fruit of spirit of Jesus in our life. Now, when we think of self-control, we automatically think of kind of the the opposite, the, the works of the flesh that Paul speaks about a little bit earlier in Galatians 5. And in verse 19 to 21, he lays out this list. He says, the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That kind of life that he talks about there is like the city from Proverbs, where the walls are broken down and anything goes. But self-control is the way of the Spirit and the opposite of those kinds of sinful behaviors. Now, Paul works through this list of all of these different works of the flesh. And he begins with sexual immorality there. And we have touched on this a number of times in this series. And one of the things we've said is during this time of quarantine, uh, the statistics show that the use of porn sites, just kind of the traffic has gone through the roof as people have indulged in the ways of the flesh over this time. So I want to say to you this morning... Is your sexuality under control? Is your sexuality healthy and empowered and led and influenced by the Spirit of God at work in your life? Or is your sexuality more like that city that's been overthrown? You know, the the walls are down, anything and everything can come in, and you're actually being ruled or you've been conquered by sexual desires and temptations, and you're just ruled by new sexual habits in your life. I guess we could say that about each one of these different things on this list of the works of the flesh as we go down. Are you in control of your temper or as Paul lists fits of rage in this list? Is that alive in you right now? 
Shell and I have been sitting in our apartment and some nights we've literally heard couples or families screaming at each other in their homes as they fight and as these fits of rage overtake them. What about your appetite? Is that under control? I know we've joked about this a little bit already, but what has been your relationship with food and alcohol and other things that you consume over this time? What about your attitude towards others? Has jealousy or envy or selfish ambition flared up in your heart over this time? Maybe lastly, uh, James in chapter 3 of his book would say that this is the hardest thing to control. But how are you doing in the self-control of your tongue and the things that you say? Paul writes here in his list about angry outbursts, discord and dissension. But how have you spoken to those people around you at this time? Your spouse, your kids, your roommates, your co-workers, the people you love and the people you're around. How have you spoken to them? And if you have spoken badly, how quick have you been to use your words to apologize? I want to say this doesn't just have to do with the words we speak. This has got to do with the words we text, the words we email, the things that we post on social media. Are we in control of our words? Are you a self-controlled person? See, this list in Galatians 5 is like a number of different lists in the New Testament. And in the book of 2 Peter, Peter writes and says that self-control is one of the things we want to add to our faith. It's one of the things that's really important to building a mature and healthy and fruitful relationship with Jesus. And in chapter 1 verse 5 to 8, he says, make every effort, make every effort to supplement or add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure some of you saw the words make every effort there and you felt a little bit confused because early I'm saying trees naturally produce fruits. It's not an effort for them. So why would we make every effort here to produce this in our life or to add self-control to our life? Shouldn't this naturally just grow on our lives? Shouldn't we not have to strain and strive to produce this? Um, and really the, the reality is that self-control does involve effort in terms of our wills. But this is not an effort that we just have to strive and do in our own strength. This is an effort that is inspired by and led by and empowered by the Spirit of God as His will bears fruit in our will. And as we start to desire different things. See, the Spirit of God is involved in this whole process. And what the Spirit does is He starts by putting new desires in us. And He takes away the old desires that we used to have. In fact, what we find over time is that we desire the things that Jesus desires. And maybe the things that were so important to us before start to become things that actually just we've got a distaste for. We don't want those things anymore. Secondly, the Spirit empowers us to stop sinning and empowers us to live a new way. And thirdly, the Spirit inspires us to take off old habits and ways and to put on new habits and disciplines that facilitate us to grow in Christ-likeness. Paul points out in another place, another tent or seeming tension that we see. He says that the grace that saves us from sin is also the grace that teaches us to say no to sin or to be self-controlled. In Titus 2, verse 11 to 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul is writing to Titus and to us to say that the same grace that we freely receive that saves us and unites us with God is the grace that after we begin to follow him teaches us to say no to sin, to reject it, to repent of it, to turn and to live a new way, a way of self-control, an upright and godly way where we are eager to do what is good. That's important for us to see that actually our freedom in Christ and our freedom from sin don't mean freedom to do whatever we want to do. No, 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 no. For each one of us watching this today, I just want to say there are places we should not go. There are things that we should not do. There are relationships we shouldn't be in. There are things we shouldn't say. There are conversations that we shouldn't be a part of. And if we find ourselves in them, we should walk away. There are feelings that we shouldn't let influence us or lead our lives or decisions. There are desires that we shouldn't give into. There are attitudes that we shouldn't have towards other people. And to continue doing these things or giving into these things doesn't mean that we're living in our freedom in Christ. And it doesn't mean that we're being true to ourselves. In fact, it, it means the opposite. It means that we are resisting the Spirit of God and we are resisting the grace of God and what they're wanting to do in our lives. We're ignoring them and resisting the freedom that is ours in Jesus. And we're choosing to continue to walk down the way of sin or the way of flesh rather than learning to walk in this new way of the Spirit, which promises life and abundance forevermore. So really what Paul says to us and what we see throughout the New Testament is that it's by the Spirit that you and I need to put to death the works of the flesh. But let's get a little bit practical for a second. How do we do this? You know, when temptation comes along or when we want to do something that has been a struggle for us for years to overcome, when the sin is just drawing us in and we've never found freedom from this thing, what do we do? How do we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit how do we live a self-controlled life? In Homer's classic tale, The Odyssey. Now, I know this makes me sound smart. Whenever you quote a Greek book, like you just commonly read those things, you sound amazing. I haven't read either of these books I'm going to quote now, but the illustrations are so powerful for us. And really in The Odyssey, the hero Odysseus is coming home from uh, the Trojan Wars. And he knows that on this journey home, he's going to face a whole lot of dangers and a whole lot of temptation. But the greatest danger of all is that that comes from the sirens. Now, I don't know if you know this story at all, but these sirens were these mythical mermaid-like creatures. They were these beautiful female uh, monsters who would lure you in with their beauty and their song and then kill sailors on the rocks where they lived. Which is honestly a pretty good picture of how sin works. You know, sin seems beautiful. It's very tempting. It's very alluring. But once we give in to sin, it starts to kill us. It starts to destroy us. But Odysseus knows the danger of these sirens. He knows the beauty of their song. He knows their temptation. And he knows that if he or his sailors give into this, they will find themselves dead. So he comes up with a plan. And he says to his sailors, what I need you to do is will you lash me to the mast, tie me to the mast of the ship. And I need you to put beeswax in your ears so that you won't hear their singing. And when I cry out to you to set me free, that you won't do it. Now listen, I think there's a few loopholes there. I don't get why he doesn't put beeswax in his ears too. Uh, I, yeah, but anyway, they get through this challenge. The, the siren song goes out, the music plays, but they are not tempted because of the beeswax in their ears, because they can't change that he's tied to the mast and they sail past onto home and safety. 
And I think this classic shows us one of the ways that so many people approach temptation. You know, Odysseus knew his weaknesses. He knew that this temptation was coming. He was able to plan for it, prepare for it, and protect himself. And his strategy is very radical. I mean, lashing yourself to a mast is quite a radical way to deal with something. But he does it and it works. I think there's a lot of discipleship strategies around today that work like this. They involve avoiding temptation and controlling yourself by putting some kind of practical plan in place so that you will be able to have self-control and not give in to the sin. But these strategies are about changing our behaviors from the outside in. But there is a second approach that we can have to self-control and temptation. It's a bit different from Odysseus's plan. And this is a unique one because it's about actually forming true self-control and changing our hearts. This is about being transformed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own willpower. And we see this in another one of these Greek classics. This is from the Argonautica. It's a story of another group of sailors, the Argonauts, and they're sailing past these same sirens. But instead of putting beeswax in their ears, instead of lashing themselves to the mast, they come up with another strategy of how to get past and make it home. And what they do is as they come near to the rocks where the sirens live, as that song starts to play, instead of using Odysseus' strategy, instead Orpheus, the great poet and musician, comes out from under the ship And he gets on the deck and he pulls out his guitar and he starts to play a louder and more beautiful song than the one that the sirens are able to sing. And the sailors on the boats, they can hear the sirens in the background, but they are absolutely captivated by Orpheus's music and they sail past the sirens and they make it home. So we see in this story, instead of restraining the hands of the sailors, what they do is they capture the hearts of the sailors with the music that he plays. Now listen, I want to say again, there is absolutely nothing wrong with us putting practical strategies in place in our lives. We need to. It's wise to do something when we know we're going to be tempted. It's wise to do something when we know that something is a danger for us. It would be silly to not do anything. Sometimes we need to lash ourselves to the mast and put beeswax in our ears so that we don't do the things that we know that we shouldn't do. But when we do those things, They don't change us to become a new kind of person. They don't form the fruit of the Spirit in us. They don't make us self-controlled. They just mean that we don't give in to the temptation. The best way for us to avoid sin and live self-controlled lives is by coming to listen to a sweeter song than the song of temptation or the sirens around us. And for Christians, that means desiring and delighting in Jesus more than anything else. You know, for those of us who've walked with Jesus for a while, We know that when we truly see him, when we truly see his beauty, when we're in his presence, when we're with him, free of distractions and other things, we know that he is more beautiful and more valuable and more worthy than anything else. In that place where we're in his presence and we're intimate and close with him, we know that there's nothing in the world, there's nothing that is more valuable than him or could tempt us or draw us away. So we need to keep that sweet sound of Jesus in our ears when the temptations of the world come by. For us ultimately being near him and seeing his face and hearing that song is the best way for us to change and for us to live self-controlled lives and to be free of temptation. Let me end with one more story. In another book, the book What I Believe by French novelist Francois Mariac, he gives a candid struggle as a man, an older man, of his struggles throughout his life with lust. Now he writes this book in his golden years as he's preparing for death. And he talks about his lifelong struggle with sexual temptation. And in the book he writes, 
old age risks being a period of redoubled testing because the imagination in an old man is substituted in a horrible way for what nature refuses him. And in the book, Moria considers a number of arguments and defenses that he learned in his youth growing up, kind of from the church that he was a part of, that had just been insufficient for him to live free from sexual temptation. And in the end, he says there was actually only one compelling call for self-control or purity. And it was the words of Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why do you think Jesus's words were so compelling to Moriach? Well, he says, because impurity separates us from God. He wanted God more than anything else. So he was e- it was easy for him to reject sin and reject temptation because God was more compelling and desirable to him than anything else. He had tried everything. You know, he tied himself to the mast with all sorts of different tools and strategies to overcome his lust. He said he tried guilt, but it didn't work. He tried all sorts of disciplines, but they didn't work. He tried a fulfilling marriage and it was beautiful, but it didn't work when the strong temptation and seduction of lust came his way. Only the sweetest song of Jesus was enough for him to resist the siren song of lust that called out to him again and again and again. And it's the same for you and I today. Self-control is not going to be formed in us by trying harder and straining and doing more. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit that is formed in us as we plant ourselves in Jesus and abide in Him and draw on the life and power of the Spirit for ourselves. And we will win the battle of te- over temptation and we will live lives that are marked by self-control when we stop sinning and stop believing the lie that anything is better than Jesus. Now, as we end this series, obviously we want to continue to walk down the way of the Spirit. We want to continue to see the fruit of the Spirit formed in our lives. So I want to give us two practical things that we can do from here on out to grow in these areas. The first is to make sure that you are planted and abiding in Jesus. This morning, I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. And maybe you need to speak to a close friend or a leader about this. But are you planted in Christ or are you planted in something else? Are you abiding in him or are you abiding in something else? What is it that you are drawing life and power from? And the second thing is when we're tempted, we need to develop a reflex to turn from whatever seductive song is playing, to turn to Jesus, to hear his song in our lives. How can you develop that reflex that you see Jesus's beauty when something else seems so beautiful to you, that you can recognize that that is a lie and reject that lie? And instead, come to the truth of Jesus and the satisfaction that is only found in him. Let me pray for us and we'll close. Jesus, this morning as we talk about self-control, we ask you, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit even now and empower us to live lives of self-control at a time when many of us are facing different temptations and struggles and are feeling weak with the temptations of the world around us and the pressures that we're facing. We ask you for grace We ask you for power. We ask you for your will to be alive in our hearts. And Jesus, we pray that your song, that the beautiful song of Jesus would play in our ears even now and that we would come to you and turn from the temptations we're facing to live lives of self-control and just devotion to you. Would you show us yourself in more beautiful ways? And for those who feel far from you this morning, I pray that you would come near and pour your love and acceptance and salvation into our hearts 
that we would know your nearness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.